as Bev comes to read the scripture this morning. This is, again, a very, very familiar story. It's all about storm. It's all about this storm. But I, I want you to think as she's reading, what are the storms that you have faced in your lives over this past year? And what have been the responses of those storms? And so just be thinking about that a little bit as you hear these words. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. May I make an announcement real quick? Sure. In the bulletin, there is the sound and video training on February 15th. Um, unfortunately, I, <laughs> Wendy's finger, I think, slipped on one of the keys. My son's phone number, the last four digits are 7152. It says 7142 in the bulletin. And I'm afraid if you dial 7142, you'll get someone in Virginia and make them very angry at you. So um, if you are interested, just make sure it's 7152. Thank you. We don't want to create storms. <laughs> As I said, I mean, this is a, this is a day of, of just storms that are going on. And I, I, it's one of the few times that I can remember being the football fan that I am, that the storm that was going to potentially hit New Jersey, East Rutherford, New Jersey today, got almost as much attention as the game itself. And so what happens is today, it's instead of the storm that they talked about coming in, uh, not quite at game time, the high today in East Rutherford, New Jersey is unseasonably warm at 51 degrees, and the huge winds that were supposed to come in are now looking, they're looking at six miles an hour. Uh-oh. Amazing what can happen with a little prayer. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I'm really looking forward to it. What I want to do is just share three stories, and you know, you'll hear a little bit in just a minute, you know, one of the privileges of being a pastor is that I get to kind of walk beside so many of you in the storms that you face, and it truly is a, a privilege, And but I can't share any of those with the congregation, and I, I don't normally share as personally as I'm going to do a little bit this morning, and, and believe me... Throughout Dor- Dorothy's surgery, and I said, I swore that I would never use those two words again in, in this congregation. Because every time I use those two words kind of later on, this is what happened in the congregation. I looked down and, and multiple heads went like this. <sighs> because we're tired of hearing about Dorothy's surgery. So I'm not going to talk about Dorothy's surgery. But to understand storms, we ha- it has to get personal. And, and I just struggle with this, and I just don't often share as personally um, from the pulpit because there's you know, potentially other things. But I want to do this today to talk about the kind of storms, not just that our family faced or have faced or are facing, but, but also I think because it, it, it helps us understand that we all face these kinds of storms. 
But I want to talk about it a little bit this morning. The first one has to do with our move from Sunnyside, Washington, that little farming community surrounded by 350,000 cattle, um, a town of 13,500, to moving to Los Angeles. In my travels before I was a pastor, the one place that I swore I would never, ever, ever, let me say it one more time, ever live was Los Angeles. But here we were, and God had a different idea, and we were called to move to Los Angeles. And at that time, we had a 30-foot motorhome that I drove down there, and I think Dorothy drove the the U-Haul truck behind it. We made really good time, and we arrived a day early. And nobody knew we were going to be there that day. They had the reception planned for the next day. But here we were, we arrived late at night, decided we weren't going to make that final stop till the next day and thought, we just want to get there. I mean, it's a long ways to drive. And so we pulled into the parking lot of the church and had no idea where to park a 30-foot motorhome and a 30-foot U-Haul. But the church had this beautiful big field out back. So we thought, perfect. So I'm going to just keep looking at her because, I mean, this is so, it's still so fresh. Um, and so we drive in the U-Haul and the motorhome into to just kind of off the building area and park it. And it, L.A. being L.A. in late June, it was warm. And so instead of turning on the air conditioning, we opened the windows. You know, a little L.A. fresh air. So, so and, you know, we're all just exhausted, tired, ornery, not feeling good, couldn't wait to go to sleep. And went to bed that night. 4.45 a.m. All of a sudden, this sound wakes all of us up. Did I mention that the windows were open? Did I mention that we have never in our lives had an automatic sprinkler system? The first shot of water, I think, hit Cora. She was just um, almost four, not quite four, three years old. You think it woke her up? The next one hit Ben. The next one hit Laura. Uh, Ben was 10 and Laura was 15. uh, Or Ben was nine and Laura was 15. And suddenly, the whole motorhome is flooded by water coming, pouring in from this sprinkler. And, you know, these are the kinds of sprinkler systems that are designed in a way that it's just not one sprinkler. Right, It's multiple sprinklers following each other's paths around. And so we think we're done with one set when suddenly the next set hits and the flows through the windows. I remember getting the windows shut. It's now 4.47 in the morning. And all of us, almost simultaneously, erupted in tears. What in the world were we thinking? Why in the world... Did we leave that beautiful pastoral setting of Sunnyside? I mentioned 350,000 cattle and the smells that go with 350,000 cattle. Why did we do it? And we just cried and cried and cried until about 20 minutes later, a knock came on the door. And I opened the door and there was this enormous man standing there, Troy. Troy was the groundskeeper at La Tijera United Methodist Church. And Troy had immediately kind of recognized the situation, turned off the sprinklers, 
and, and wanted just to make sure that we were okay. That's the first part of the story. Second's coming in just a second. We were crying our eyes out because of the storm of this move and our first day in Los Angeles isn't about sunshine. It's about water. And there we were. About four or five years later, still in L.A., I got a call from the middle school. And it was that call that no parent ever wants to hear. Your son, Ben, is going to be suspended from school. We now realize that Ben began to experiment some uh, with drugs somewhere between 9 and 11 years old. And Ben is a young man who just wants to fit in, desperately wants to fit in. And, and what had happened is Ben had met some kids just down the street and, um, and they had assisted him in his exploration of drugs. And what he had done is at a school dance the night before had developed um, a drug kit, a drug kit. Now, Ben being Ben, he didn't want to put real drugs in there. So he put oregano in this drug kit, and it looks like a little bit like marijuana. What we realized is the depth of his drug abuse and the, direct, the, 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 the incredible, overwhelming influence it was having on his lives. The influence of Ben's drug use have carried with us throughout the rest of our lives. And uh, it grew and expanded, and it was amazing that way. And we have a count coming here in just a second. So what do you got? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Uh, We have 842 new items of food with a total now of 2,266 items of food out there. Give yourselves a hand. Well, I had a goal. I, I thought we could do a goal of about 2,500, and look how close we are to that. So back to Ben. I remember the day that Ben was arrested, uh, and although it wasn't really an arrest, but the, the, the police had, had found them smoking uh, above on the upper parking lot of, uh, just off of Santa Monica High School. I remember getting that call. I, I remember the call of Ben trying to protect himself and bringing a razor blade to school because so many of the kids were trying to bully him in ways that he just wanted some way to protect himself. And I remember getting that call, and another suspension came out of that. These are the kinds of storms that define us. But here's the issue in something like that. I was a pastor at that time. And do you really believe that, that, that I wanted the church where we were serving, particularly a church as large and as vibrant as Santa Monica First, to realize that one of their pastors was going through this kind of trauma? And so we kept it hidden. Here's the other piece of that, and I will admit this to you today. You heard the story of Jesus, and at the end of that storm, he looks at his disciples, and the words he used are, calm, be still. And the storm was calm. I think I contributed in phenomenal ways to the storminess that was our lives in that time. It was never abuse, but it was constant confrontation. Never was there a time where I wasn't in some way confronting Ben. I was a pastor. I was a follower of Jesus, and I just feel like that was a struggle. And I didn't handle it very well. 
Next story. We had moved to Auburn at this time. And many of you know that Cora was one of those kind of elite softball players. And one of the coaches that she loved at her school was Skeevy Shelton. Many of you know the Shelton family. If you are a UW football fan, is Danny Shelton plays um, starting defensive guard for UW uh, football team. This is his older brother. What was going on in Auburn at that time, which was way too familiar uh, in story after story, again, before I was a pastor, is the gang violence had, had erupted in ways and, and it confined itself to some extent to South Auburn. And Skeevy and Danny and, and one of their, the middle brother, headed down to the gang area because they needed to rescue one of their friends. And they confronted this and got into a fight as they were coming up onto a front porch trying to get their friend out of this situation. The front door burst open, as did the gunfire. Skeevy was shot and killed. Talk about a storm. And this t- community does not, did not deal well with that storm. Skeevy was shot and killed. A beloved coach. And if you go into Cora's bedroom even today, today, above the head of her bed is a sign that she created in a eulogy that says, Rest in peace, Skeevy. Friends, we are confronted by storms all the time. They are constantly around us. And this story is defining in the way that we are called to deal with some of those storms. I love this story because it's just so organic. But it it also helps us understand a little bit more about Jesus too. And and here's a guy who continually poured himself out for others, whether it was in teaching or preaching, whether it was in healing. Every one of those elements were energy producing. And, and can you imagine that he had to have times of recovery? This was one of those times of recovery where he knew that he was in the hands of, of fishermen. And they launched these, this small fishing boat out there. And those fishing boats would probably go from the corner of the altar, not quite to where Betty's sitting on the back row, and were open with a single mast. And they had benches around the edge. And so he climbs into that boat, immediately goes back to the bench, takes off his his outer garment, folds it into a pillow, and is asleep immediately on that bench. They begin to go across this sea, and it truly is a sea. It's not a lake. And you know those fishermen recognized the squall that was out there. And they knew that they had to go in that direction toward that squall. And suddenly, what had been a fairly calm sea began to churn. And then it began to become tumultuous. And then it began to get dangerous. And then I can just imagine that suddenly one of those wind waves that was now at four or five feet broke over the bow of that boat and soaked them all. And there Jesus slept. What is it about people who are so at peace within themselves that they can sleep through anything? John Tucker just shared with me that he slept through a tornado one time. John, that doesn't surprise me. Um, There you are. But here we are 
And at least four of those individuals, if not more, were professional fishermen. And they began to panic. They could not see the shore. What is it when we lose sight of the shore that we begin to panic? And the waves began to continue to grow and the storm began to wage in ways that were just terrifying for them. And I finally <clears throat> have this visual picture of Peter, who I think Peter was probably about 6'4", 320. You know, could be playing defensive line for the Seahawks. But <clears throat> and, and by the time he is up, to, you know, standing at the bow of, of that boat and figures, you know, we got to wake him up and pounds his way through two or three or four feet of water back to that, back to the, the stern of that boat where Jesus is sound asleep, towers over him and says something gently like, Hey! Hey! Nobody sleeps in a storm! And I just see Jesus calmly opening one eye and looking up at Peter, standing up, stretching, he had his sea legs, stretching, looking around at the absolute terror on the face of everyone in that boat and looks at them and says, Peace. Be still. And the water becomes glass. And their souls are at peace. That was, by the way, after him confronting them about their faith. Later that morning in Los Angeles, 10 or 12 members of the church came and they found the perfect spot for the motorhome on site. And immediately after Troy left us, after turning off the sprinkler system and went in over to Randy's Donuts and got us a health breakfast, <laughs> coffee and donuts, and delivered it back and asked us over and over, and this is how Troy was, and over, is there anything else you need? Troy became Christ that morning for us. And then that church surrounded us, and we spent six weeks in a space in that church where they prepared and finished the parsonage for us. An incredible, incredible gift. And that church became Christ for us, very much in the ways that you have. There was a peace that was instilled in the midst of that. And, and funny how sometimes after tremendous storms happen, <clears throat> you can look back on them and smile. Peace. Be still. Ben was a constant storm for us, and we still worry about him. But one of the saints of Aldersgate became Christ for us in the midst of the life that was Ben. And that person sat right back there, right where Sheila's sitting this morning. And she shared a prayer need about her own son. And I'm going to share this this morning, that her own son is now off chasing a relationship and letting go of his responsibilities, and there's concern about him right now. But she offered Ben a job. And in a time where even Ben went through some tumultuous stuff while we were living here and he was living in Auburn, continued to be there for him and surrounded him. She became Christ for Ben. And in somewhat a vicarious way became Christ for us. And I remember sitting in their living room as we talked about him. And she said, I just want you to know that I'll be there for him. And I commit that to you. 
And we said, if there's ever a time where we can reciprocate with your sons, we'll be there for you. And let's create this community together. And we have. Well, Skeevy's a whole different ballgame. The, uh, the death of Skeevy created an incredibly tumultuous time in Auburn. And that tumultuous time, and I have two Auburnites sitting in here right now, continues to create a tumultuous relationship between law enforcement and schools and others. Now, things are shifting and changing, and I do track that. But here's what happened. <clears throat> the church stepped up. And to a great extent, the church couldn't necessarily confront the gangs. But what they did is confront some of the things that lay beneath that. And they began to work on some of the domestic violence shelters and they began to develop relationships with others in the community and they began to be a voice in that community that was threatening enough for the gangs that the Sunday, the Saturday before my last Sunday in that church, and you probably remember this, is if you looked across the street on the clinic, on the side of the clinic, was a tagging from one of the most violent gangs in the country and used the kind of language that we would never use in a church that says, bring it on. And that church didn't shy away from that and said, we will do what we need to do in this community to make this change. I don't know what they're doing today. But I know I was so proud of their response to all of that because they became a voice of hope, of confrontation, of encouragement, and in providing the kind of space that needed to be provided for those that were struggling with these kinds of issues. Storms. As I said, I can look around this congregation this morning, and I know many of the kinds of storms that you have faced. But here's the deal, friends. You know that old adage that says, God doesn't necessarily create the storms in our lives. But God, if we trust God, will always help us find safe harbor. Well, guess what? Your safe harbor. And I've talked about the reciprocal nature of this work, of what we are to be as a church. That we are to be safe harbor. And not just safe harbor for those that are outside, who need a place to come. But safe harbor for each other and developing that kind of level of trust where if I needed to share with you about our son Ben, that I would know that I had people to whom we could turn for support and encouragement. That if the sprinkler system went off and flooded your house, this church would be there to help you rebuild. And if there was a gang shooting of a beloved person or individual in this community, that we would be there to not only offer solace to those that were a part of that family and to the children and youth like Cora, for whom that was life-changing, but we would also be the voice that gets to the root of it all and say, we will make the change required to keep our children safe. We will be that courageous voice in community that holds others accountable who would cause harm in the lives of others. That is the church. 
And guess what, friends? That pile, that incredible, enormous, overwhelming pile of food, mountain of food, represents so much of that. No matter where it goes, the storms that are in people's lives who do not have enough to eat, with our help, will have food. It's not about competing with Denver. It's about feeding the hungry and doing it even with a smile. Are you willing to be, and I'm talking to you as individuals right now, are you willing to be safe harbor? Are you willing to step up and be safe harbor, even with people you may not know? And are you willing on the other side of that to trust each other enough to share the storms of your lives? That's a special church. And we're close. We're there. But that's a special church. Let's continue to work on that. And that star is going to disappear other than in our hearts and actions. We are the light. We are the hope. Let's be the hope. Will you pray with me? God, as we come and we prepare for prayer time this morning, I ask that you help us understand that there's not a person in here that doesn't go through storms. It's what we learn from those storms that become so essential. To learn that confrontation is not necessarily the best method to deal with a young man who is struggling with drug abuse. To be a voice of peace and of stillness and of calm is the better alternative. We become the community that can help each other and we become the community safe harbor that can become courageous voices in the communities that surround us so that there are no more skeevy deaths, no more deaths because of gang violence. Help us be that courageous voice. Help us to give. Help us receive. All in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.